Welcome to the Zeitgeist 19 curated podcast, exploring the spirit of now through the lens of art and sustainability. Your hosts are Farah Piria and Elizabeth Zhivkova. In this episode, we are meeting a female powerhouse that stands behind the acclaimed exhibition Supernatural, showing at the Eden Project, a cross-disciplinary cultural leader. Senior curator Misha Kersen and curator Hannah Hooks guide us through the exhibition that explores humankind's ever-evolving understanding of ourselves as a part of the natural world and the interdependencies between humans and plants. While an interdisciplinary artist, Amanda too, expands on her curious practice that brings together botany and cartography, the artist Patricia Dominguez tells us how she merges social, political and economic matters with mysticism and ancient botanical knowledge. Dear ladies, thank you so much for joining this conversation. I welcome you at Zeitgeist 19. And I'll start with my first question to Misha. Your curatorial vision sits where science, art, and nature meet. As a senior curator at the Eden Project, can you please tell us more about its concept, mission, and your visual program? Yeah, so Eden is a cultural venue, education, charity, and social enterprise. Um, our global mission is to create a movement that builds relationships between people and the natural world, learning and sharing our learnings through creative programs and community initiatives. Our work is underpinned by the understanding that we're living in a planetary emergency, evidenced by the climate crisis and biodiversity collapse, um, the human health and well-being crisis and um, the increasingly fast pace of change. We believe that only by nurturing creative, creative creativity and deepening our collective understanding of the interconnections between all living things and seeing them as a whole can we inspire change and protect the earth and engender environmental har- harmony and social equity. So we're really interested in breaking down silos of discipline inspired by a nature-based systems thinking approach and that sees art, design, immersive digital installations, large-scale play, large living planted environments and performances being um, combined to share our learnings and stories and all reflecting on these topics of social and environmental imperative. Our aim is to embed cultural activism, regenerative programming and sustainable practice in order to influence and educate and advocate with our peers, public audiences and policymakers. Today, we're a global movement. Um, so we're working on developing projects locally, nationally and internationally. Um, our new sites include Morecambe Bay, Dundee, Qingdao in China, Costa Rica and the Republic of Chad. Um, the international and national destination projects are being developed with teams from the different areas responding to the local themes and needs. So we're really at this transitionary point where we need to um, bring in more voices um, and be more inclusive in order to appeal to our broadening audiences and to be relevant to our broadening audiences. Thank you, Mish, for telling us more about the concept behind. Um, Hannah, I have a question for you. Could you expand a bit more about the Supernatural exhibition? What stands behind the artist selection? Um, and what do you hope your audience takes away after visiting the show? Um, 
Yeah, so Supernatural um, features a range of works by six different artists, um, artists from Sweden, Chile, Argentina, China and the UK, which each explore in varying ways um, humankind's constantly evolving understanding of the interdependencies between humans and plants, as well as the diverse systems that inform those perceptions. Um, which goes back to kind of a lot of Eden's sort of founding narratives. Um, so by focus, focusing sort of broadly on the idea that we are part of the natural world, not apart from it, as well as on what our relationships with plants look like, we um, selected artists whose work approaches these ideas in varied ways with works that encourage us to consider things like what reciprocal relationships in nature might look like or what more than human might re um might mean sorry um and we're really interested in the idea that within dominant western cultures there's a separation between people and plants on many levels but also recognizing that this is not the case within many other cultures and also that it wasn't so long ago that western cultures speaking in very broad terms um were much more connected to the natural world so the ambition of the exhibition is really to communicate the idea that despite a disconnect, both in language and in action, we are all part of the same complex and dynamic web of life and that all life on Earth is interconnected. Um, so we wanted to show how varying perspectives on what human plant relationships mean to different people and to different artists can inform maybe a shared sense of understanding um, and <clears throat> we hope that the exhibition in some ways can act as a catalyst to fuel people's imagination, to connect to the natural world and to think about the vegetal world and their place within it in new and dynamic ways. Um, it's also our audiences at Eden are broad. Um, we have a huge range of people that visit our site in Cornwall. And so we program in a way that enables multiple entry points into some of the bigger ideas um, behind the exhibitions that we do. So Iman's um, potato naming exercise, for example, is popular with lots of different people, including young children. Um, and I think it's interesting in that that can provide a sort of safe space or a starting point for some of the more challenging aspects of the work and the other works um, to be experienced and engaged with. Um, similarly, Ai Weiwei's um, Fly, which has been on our radar, um, myself and Misha's radar for, for bringing to Eden for some time. It, it's not only sublime and imposing as a piece of sculpture, but it is a, it kind of has, that. there's a broad range of audiences that can connect to it because of its physical presence, but it also confronts big ideas around uprootedness and disconnect the plight of refugees and indigenous peoples, both in Brazil and in Weiwei's native China. Um, so it's about having working with artists where you can have those different entry points as well as artists who are looking at those connections between human plant relationships in really kind of varied, dynamic, interesting and innovative ways. So as for Kadisha Coakley's work, Horticultural Appropriation is again a work where people can engage on an immediate level by recognizing some of the forms within this cabinet of curiosities that she's made, which include passion fruits, lychee casings, shells. They might even recognize tamarind pods, but once you scratch beneath the surface, 
what Kadisha is interested in is in repatriating knowledge and untold legacies and questioning what is lost and what remains when botanical objects are removed from their native lands. Thank you, Misha. And thank you, Hannah, for your answers. I would like to bring kind of everyone's attention uh, to what, Misha, you mentioned earlier about global cultural activism. And Hannah, uh, you talked about connecting personally with natural world. So I'd like to um, ask my last question, structuring it around those um those uh, aspects you you mentioned. Adam Project, cross-disciplinary cultural leader, states its manifesto in the following way. In order to develop a vision for a planet fit for the future, we need to nurture creative perspectives. So how do you see the role of artists and curators in this? We really believe that art has the power to challenge received wisdom, to provoke and captivate and inspire, and that both social equity and environmental harmony are intrinsically connected to and can be transformed by cultural exchange. So in that way, culture and creativity is core to Eden's DNA. Um, in order to develop this vision for a planet fit for a future, we need to nurture diverse and empathetic creative perspectives. And I always refer back to a quote by Gus Beck who was the co-founder of the National Resource Defence Council and an environmental lawyer, because I think it just perfectly articulates this in a way that I've never been able to, to do um, in a different way. He said, I used to believe that the top environmental problems were biodiversity decline, ecosystem collapse, climate change. I believed that with 30 years of good science, we could address those problems, but I was wrong. The top environmental problems are selfishness, greed, and apathy. And to address those, we need a cultural and spiritual transformation. And scientists don't know how to do that. Just to add to what Misha said, there's um, just goes back to this idea of um, art being able to create a sort of safe space or a subjective space which allows which is I guess what we're trying to do with the exhibition allows your imagination to feel free to feel flexible and allows you to feel <clears throat> hopefully inspired or challenged in a way that might make you go back out into the world and might affect your behavior or it might be a story that you share um, and that art really in kind of all cultural kind of you know whether it's art or it's performance or it's music those things alone are really kind of the most powerful tools in in um, in affecting that kind of response in people. And there's a Jeremy Della quote where he says, um, "Art isn't uh, about what you make, but what you make happen." And I really like that. I think there's something kind of um, within that, particularly as Eden becomes more mission oriented and responds to um, the current global situation um the planetary emergency so i think that's really kind of the way in which we are trying to program and engage audiences and yeah challenge provoke and inspire uh, thank you ladies for kind of taking us through this exhibition and through your meaningful and conscious cultural space and um, i think it's now time to ask the artists, participating artists at the Supernatural exhibition, how 
um, how was their uh, experience and um, what is their practice about. Uh, Patricia, I would like to start with you. Your work merges social, political, and economic matters with mysticism and ancient botanical knowledge. Uh, can you please tell us a bit more about ethnobotany and healing cosmologies as disciplines and how did they become a focal point of your artistic practice? Um I feel like plants have the capacity to heal, not only in a, in a physical level, but also in an emotional and, a and spiritual level. Yeah. And, you know, in Chile, we live in a laboratory of neoliberalism. Like, you know, all beings such as mountains, forests, rivers, water, earth have been privatized and extracted to make money. And this system is not only exhausting and destroying um, what is living, you know, the ecosystem, but also is also making us as humans sick in an emotional, spiritual level. So I think my interest in ethnobotany, not from a scientific perspective, but from a personal and an experimental approach <laughs> and on ancient mystic techniques has to do because these disciplines are mainly focused in knowledge of healing plants plans of visions and also in techniques to open perceptions and non-verbal languages and they know how to command and move energies so i think all these are crucial nowadays to heal and to reorganize our social and emotional bodies you know to take all the misspoken words out of our holograms which i think that's the main part of sickness in a way and um you know, they open space to gain new insights on how to live in a way that we can honor planetary memory, establishing relationships of care, regeneration, solidarity, but also of alliances, alliances between species. And I think plants are amazing allies in this process. You know, like they know how to live in, collabor in collaboration, they know how to share resources, they know how to think collectively, they know how to transmutate, clean, and they also they know how to heal. And in a personal level, you know, like I, will, I have been always been interested in plants, but when my ex-partner was sick with cancer many years ago, I really understood like the amazing potential of healing, you know, with plants, because in order to heal, we had to access the spiritual information and what was happening there and I felt in that moment uh, vision plants and also some mystic techniques allowed us to access those you know those realms out of time and space where the information is held kind of reorganize and clean and heal that and block in order to heal his physical body maybe not in that moment but at least to be able that the sickness wasn't coming because of those reasons so in those moments, I really realized how amazing these techniques are because we don't really have a vocabulary for the invisible. You know, like we are just so focused on utilitarian process and what we see. So I feel like mysticism and also some plants open an, a perception to these realms that I think they are crucial in these moments. So yes, as Hannah was saying, like imagining or reaching these spaces to gain new perspectives. Maybe also to finish, I was, I was initially trained as a Western scientific botanical illustrator. <laughs> and then with life and also being in, in alliance with all these plants, I started like shifting myself and also shifting the work. And now I'm just um, really focused on experimental ethnobotanical relationship between people and plants 
in this digital age? How are we mourning? How are we sustaining ourselves uh, in between like species? And now it became a much more um, uh, inquiry of how to connect with plants in a spiritual level, in a non-verbal level, and like how to maybe try to give a form or representation that is not physical or scientific, but is trying to connect with them and trying to give some kind of images to these spirits or the flows, or how can you connect with them through your body and, and, and draw that connection. Thank you, Patricia. And am I uh, correct, correct to understand that symbolism play, uh, plays a, a huge role in your creative language? Can you please tell us how all these signs and symbols, um, how are they being used within your practice? Maybe more than, yes. I, I think, you know, I see my work as a stomach. <laughs> I, I live, I, 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 you know, like I, I learn with a lot of healers. I have a garden, like all the things I'm reading and learning and the talks. It goes through the stomach that is art and it gets out in in a way new images or new symbols or maybe new myths. That's what I'm trying to do. That kind of re-choreograph what is here in new images because I think it's really important for me to open um, new images or new symbols or new myths that kind of choreograph what it is because I think the way we access reality is so linear. The images are so uh, homogeneous that in a, in, a, in a way like symbols or embedded symbols allowed me to give some kind of equation of information in these symbols and then through the work they are um, offered maybe to the viewers. I think symbols or myths can hold a lot of information inside them, like energetic information. Thank you, Patricia. Iman, um, your practice brings together botany and cartography. That is an interesting combination. Could you please tell me uh, more about it? Your work traverses film, sculpture and painting to map the lively relational networks between plants, people and beyond. Sure. Um, so many of us are familiar with Western practices of both botany and cartography. These both exist as scientific disciplines with these set rules and language conventions. So for example, in botany, you have the Linnaeus system for naming, categorizing, and ordering plants. The cartography I know and I'm familiar with as someone who comes from a background in architecture is always at a human scale and also from the human perspective. And both these disciplines have long colonial legacies. They became instruments of terraforming projects to reshape landscape, define nature as a product, but also redefine the relationship of that place and the value systems that surround that relationship. But beyond the use of botany and cartography as these colonial tools, there exist multiple methods for studying plant life, for mapping our movements relative to other species. And these are often, as Patricia mentioned, cultural, regional, specific to personal stories and histories. They offer different perspectives to the conventional and to the universal. So this kind of led me to question, well, what science is being taught? Who is doing the naming, the drawing, the observation, and in what style, a language, and format? So with my practice, instead of using maps to aspire to a truth status, so to speak, I'm interested in using maps as a tool or an invitation to play, to draw new connections with the plant world that challenge the tacit, the subjective, and the deeply personal interactions and experiences that we have with nature. 
And this isn't just an exercise in curiosity, rather, I hope we can use forms of botanical and more than human mapping to open us up to methods of reciprocity between humans and non-humans and open us up to our codependencies, our agencies, but also the moments of contamination and the moments of dissonance too. And the works that I make that speak or fall under this umbrella of a counter-mapping discipline called canomic botany, where economics is an invented word and a counter to economic, and it means the story of worlds relative to each other rather than relative to the human. And the maps that I've created so far are a result of my own embodied and personal and evolving connections and interactions to specific plants, including the potato. And they are a result of working across different media and disciplines, often through the lens of the non-expert. So for example, there's a map called Who Are My Friends? And it explores what it means to recategorize plants according to their friendships rather than their family members. So in case you don't know or aren't familiar with modern botany, plants are conventionally categorized in their family tree of life. And potato and tomato are in the same family, but if they were planted together, they would fight for nutrients and spread disease. So I was interested in using mapping as a tool and practice to document who they grow well with. And in other words, who are the potato's friends? Another example is a map for potato growing according to cosmology, which is three-dimensional in its form. And it's my understanding of how to introduce a time lens into a map and how to depict seasonality in relationship to space. So these maps seek to offer a different understanding or interpretation rather than act as a replacement to current understandings. A map I create about the potato's friends may be contradictory to a map you make, but because we are coming at it from different experiences and perspectives, we can offer a diversity in knowledge and a, a diversity in experiences. And I hope for these maps to be navigational tools. You know, what are the ways in which mapping as practice can offer or inspire others to develop their own perspectives, to document what they see and what they observe? Thank you, Iman. Even though you kind of uh, mentioned uh, a bit about your work at Supernatural, I would still like to expand on that and ask both of you uh, about your pieces shown at this exhibition. Patricia, at Supernatural, you're presenting a digital and sculptural piece that brings together experimental research on ethnobotany and healing practices. Uh, whilst Iman, your uh, economic botany is a 10-minute film that visualizes a parallel world through eyes of an of a potato, freeing it from its scientific and colonial ties. Can each of you please tell us how these pieces came to be and what does it mean to you to be part of this exhibition and its international dialogue? Yeah, so I'm showing um, uh, a video sculpture called Matrix Vegetal. It was made with the Welcome Collection. So I was invited uh, two years ago to go along the welcome team and revise their South American ethnobotanical collection, which was an amazing opportunity because I really wanted to, you know, they have a lot of sacred plants in their collection, the Kew Gardens uh, specimen collection and their welcome collection. So they have a lot of sacred plants and also a lot of the, a lot of the history of how these specimens were collected. They were, you know, talking a lot about colonial abuse with really horrible uh, stories. So we decided to approach the collection through, through these two focus. One is like extractivism and biopiracy and colonial abuse. And also saying these are sacred plants that are still used, you know, in South America and everywhere to gain vision and to move kind of forward these, these new systems. 
And um, we decided to do five sculptures that in a way I wanted to really kind of work in this shape-shifting um, language. So they work as cabinets, you know, holding all the, all the conditions to show this uh, archival material. But there are also totems made with plant morphologies and there are also some shrines. So all the material is being exhibited, but also in a way that is being honored uh, saying these are not only specimens, you know, they're like sacred plants. And they also have all these really like um, long stories of, of colonial abuse in planetary. So we, we work with um, Yahe or Ayahuasca, Floripondo or Brugmancia, Sintona, Mandrake, because we also wanted to talk about European ancient knowledge of plants, you know, not exoticized solely as a thing from South America or other countries, but also from, you know, like pre- uh, religious or pre-Catholic times in Europe. And we also did one for vision because we have, for example, we found an image of Amachi. Amachi is like the highest spiritual figure in Chile or the Mapuche people. You know, she has like a axis mundi or a rewe, which is um, a tree where they go up to gain information from the spirits in order to heal and then go down with information. So we found one of those uh, images we were gonna have to honor. And also we uh, we work with an image from a Mexican manuscript is about the Aztec Zodiac man, which is a man, it's almost like the Vitruvius man, but like a South American or Central American version, which is a man with the open um, legs and arms who is connected to, I think this uh, 20, 21 or 18 forces of the universe. So we were thinking, how can we really think about ourselves in connection to the cosmos and not as an individual person? So we kind of use all these um, different um, archives to, to talk about these narratives. For example, uh, we use some seeds of Cinchona seeds that were holded in the Kew Garden collection and they were collected by Manuel Mamani, which was an Inca healer who knew exactly which Sintona trees were more healing in the relationship if the trees look or not to the mountain. And of course, it had to do something with like some kind of objective scientific knowledge, but they were using other kind of really ancient knowledge. So he chose the most healing seeds of the plants and then he was killed in prison because of helping these European uh, enterprises. So we also honor those seeds and told the story and kind of arose all this conversation. But in a way that was really important for me, and that's the, the, main, the, the main part that makes me more happy about the project, that I didn't want to show it in a, only like in a museum uh, exhibition or exhibition um, like technique or shape, but as a artistic or critical um, uh, installation, you know, which I think it felt more closer to this kind of dreamy or non-linear or kind of shape-shifting language of the vegetable universe than a pure kind of objective um, Western way of showing the material. And now we're showing one of these totems, the mandrake one in Eden Project along a video because after this research, which lasted like two years, I went to Peru to study with a healer that I knew many years before and did my own version of the Aztec Zodiac man bath with a woman and, you know, connecting with this quantum, quantum uh, aspect of plants. So it's kind of like a, like a second um, st step in the welcome research. I'm showing two pieces, um, a film and then also a, a participatory audio piece. 
Um, the film Economic Botany is a botanical world narrated from the perspective of the potato. And the world is the, an offering of a generative archive, a space for cultivating, sharing and restoring knowledge about the potato through the narration of a series of maps that offer an understanding of the plant beyond just its tuber and as a whole, bringing together various different perspectives. So the potato is subject to a typical hero story. It was the reward reaped by leaders of conquest on their exhibitions to Peru in search for gold, but instead they came back with the potato. Um, and what emerged from this is um, a neurogenetic bottleneck of potatoes and a nomenclature or a language that represented a new order over territories and non-human bodies. And though originating from South America, the potatoes have found their home in many different cultures. And I'm sure many of us in the room can all think of a dish special to us where the potato plays a central role. And that's because plants like people move around the world. Um, and that's whether they've been uprooted or made a voluntary choice. And we're all looking in that process of movement to find a place or space to belong and feel at home. And I think the potato is the proof that we need that you don't need to be native to a place to belong or to contribute to it. There is room for inventing new ties and relationships to the land and landscape, despite wherever you've originally come from. So I think the film at the Supernatural exhibition is a starting point, not just to build an empathetic connection with the potato, but also see ourselves in relationship to them. So what happens if we experience a world or a landscape from the potato's perspective? What are the ways in which that can help construct alternative methods for naming, categorizing and ordering plants that speak to our specific environments and individual ways of knowing? If we know the potato for more than just its tuber, we can then understand how they build patterns of diversity through their seeds, their flowers, their fruits and their roots. And that can teach us as humans in turn how to build patterns of diversity in our knowledge systems too. One dominant voice will lead us down a genetic a generic or genetic bottleneck, but crossbreeding our different stories and histories will result in a diversity of knowledge and exchange networks. And I hope for the film to communicate that. Um, in answer to your question about what it means to be part of this exhibition, well, it means to be part of a collaborative space for sharing these stories about plants, not just with the other artists, but also with the audience who visit and interact with the works. And certainly for me, working with the Eden Project has given me the opportunity to be experimental and test out a new participatory element to the work, which Hannah was mentioning earlier. So we have potatoes in the space and people are invited to sit down and interact with the potato as they're visiting the other exhibition, the other works and use and then they're invited to interact with the potato using their senses and to contribute to this generative knowledge archive. Of, um, of alternative potato names. And this in turn creates an informal storytelling environment. And I think the fact that this is a group exhibition lends to the cross-pollination of ideas. It's important for these multiple experiences to coexist within the same space because it generates communication between those of different experiences and the works themselves offer their own unique ways of interaction. Ladies, our conversation is coming to an end and I have my final question. I would like to ask, 
Iman and Patricia. What are the main challenges you're facing as uh, interdisciplinary artists in today's world? And Hannah and Misha, I would also like to ask you to join this question and uh, and share some thoughts about what challenges you are facing as curators. Sure. So specifically as an interdisciplinary artist, I think it always feels like the work that I produce sits along the periphery or the edge of something rather than belonging truly to one space. But I think the challenge for me is to always use that or see that as an opportunity or a bridge and find the right language for a work that speaks to different disciplines and also offers movement between them. So I'm interested in finding methods of communication that speak, for example, to both a botanical scientist working with a collection and a soil scientist working with living collections. Someone from my niece's generation, for example, and someone from my grandparents' generation. And we need to communicate across these generations and across disciplines. Otherwise, we can't and we won't be able to shift perspectives around growing, around biodiversity and food security. And I think one communicator that has helped me think through this challenge is Robert McFarlane. So he often speaks about and uses the language that he calls childish, which is literally meaning the language of children. And he sees storytelling with children as an opportunity to find these different portals that enable us to jump between different spatial and temporal realms to enable us to suspend our disbelief and embrace the messiness of time and be within the landscape rather than be distant or um, separate from it. And so I try and channel this in my work also um, through finding a common language, which for me, I believe is our senses. And so for me, that, that helps to kind of work through those challenges of communicating across disciplines, because I think when we start from our senses, though we all have different sensory hierarchies of, and ways of understanding the world, I think the sense, senses are, a way to create commonalities between the focus on plants, but also the audience as well. I feel the most challenging part for me personally has been conquering this place where I can really feel free to use whatever kind of technique or discipline and allow the work to be, you know, sometimes very direct, sometimes very mysterious, sometimes very experimental, sometimes very like illustrative. And not, and not kind of define myself as one, um, as a painter, as a video artist. And I think that place has been, I had to conquer it and defend it all the time, this place of imagination where everything can also like enter and allow that. And also, um, as Iman was saying, I think it's very important in depends of which project are, um, we're working, what kind of materials arise, where am I working? You know, it's like leaving the conversation open for all these new techniques and materials to, to be part of the, of the process. So yeah, for me, this space of openness is very important to, um, to inhabit, to defend, and yeah, to keep not kind of categorizing ourselves, keep open. But I dealt with a lot of, um, not a lot, but maybe, I, you know, people is like, are you an illustrator? Are you a botanist? Are you an artist? And they always keep you know, trying to kind of put you in a, in a box. So I think it's, yeah, that for me, that's been the main, but I like to play. I think it's, um, I really like to combine um, and create new weight. I was saying before, like we have this kind of roads of art or what is expected in each discipline. And I think in the mix is where you can kind of try to advance, you know, in, in language visual language or number of languages? I think for me, 
the biggest challenge working as a curator within the institutional cultural sector is the need to continuously campaign for the wider understanding of the integral value of culture and creative practice, like socially, politically, economically, environmentally, um, and to kind of keep hold of that space and hold that space for creative practice and, you know, leverage funding. Yeah, I would absolutely second what Misha said and also picking up on what Patricia said around techniques or disciplines. So trying to find what are the most engaging techniques or disciplines, <clears throat> ways of working um, for communicating these really, really big ideas in a way that engages people, but in a way that it's authentic, that we're conscious, we're thinking about the methods, the materials, the processes, the, the way in which it can be even be regenerative, whether that's to individuals or to types of practice or to organizations and so trying to affect change and um and to inspire people organizations even affect kind of policies across all those different different areas and breaking down which we've i think everybody has touched on these silos and discipline really thinking about what to be interdisciplinary means and what opportunities that 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 might bring about Thank you so much for this inspiring conversation. I would like to uh, note that this exhibition is uh, running until uh, 26th of February. So whoever is listening um, should definitely try and make their way to Eden Projects and experience this very special show. Thank you.